What do you do when someone calls you? I suppose it might make a difference who it is that is calling you and what they're calling you about. Today, many of us have cell phones and we get calls from all sorts of people at various times of the day. And if someone calls you and you don't know who it is, you don't recognize the number, maybe you just won't answer the call. I, I don't. So if, you, if I don't have your number in my book, I, I don't answer the call. So just a reminder, let me know who you are That's, and I'll answer it. But, but maybe you, you don't recognize the number, you, you think it's spam, you ignore the call, you block the call, whatever. Or perhaps you do know who is calling and you ignore the call and you refuse to answer the call for one reason or another. Maybe it's mom calling. I don't know. Maybe you're, you're one of those people who always decides to listen to the voicemail, the message, if they leave one, and then decide whether or not you're going to respond to the call. Or maybe when someone calls, you're just too busy to answer the call. It usually does boil down to who you think is calling and what you think they want, right? As I was calling the kids to follow me, they didn't know what to think. Is he really serious? Follow me? All right. Well, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark entitled Following Jesus, we will see Jesus calling his first disciples in person. And, he's, and we're going to see how those disciples respond to his call. I encourage you to grab your Bibles or one of the church Bibles and open it up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16. This is found on page 994 in the church Bibles. And I would ask that you please follow along as I read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. The words are on the wall behind me as well. This is God's holy, infallible, life-giving, and life-transforming word. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing and obeying of God's holy word. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we come before you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us as you are calling us to follow you. We thank you, Lord, for this passage of scripture where you meet these disciples, Lord, for your call upon them. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in our lives this morning, that we would desire to listen and obey. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to God's word this morning, we can see that Jesus came. Jesus came from heaven to earth to start his earthly ministry. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, we read, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. 
So in the fullness of time, it was when God chose. It was the timing of God's perfection of when Jesus would come. Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up as a child with earthly parents, with brothers and sisters. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus began his earthly ministry when he was about 30 years of age. So Jesus had been on the earth doing nothing but perfect things for nearly 30 years. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he came to Nazareth in the region of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus came. But why? Why did Jesus come? Certainly Jesus, God the Son, did not need to come. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, did not need to come. The one triune God is perfectly self-existent and does not need anything or anyone. So why did Jesus come? Jesus, God the Son, came because of who he is. Jesus came because he is perfectly loving and compassionate and merciful, among many other attributes. There are many reasons that the scriptures specifically tell us why Jesus came. One of them found in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus came to fulfill the law because no one else could. No one else was able to do this. Only Jesus could perfectly obey and fulfill the law. And Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The reason that Jesus did not come to call the righteous because God's word tells us that no one is righteous, not even one, except for Jesus. Only Jesus is perfectly sinless and completely righteous. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it declares that Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So we also see in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus himself tells us in the Gospel of John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. These are just many of the reasons why Jesus came. He came to save lost sinners like you and like me. And as we look at our passage this morning, we see that Jesus began his earthly ministry and appeared by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is, is uh, supposed to be the largest freshwater lake in Israel. It's located around 60 miles north of Jerusalem. It's about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide, approximately the size of Washington, D.C. That's, that's pretty big to me. And this is where Jesus began his earthly ministry. And it's here that Jesus sees four men in our passage this morning. It says that he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, as well as James and his brother John. But what did Jesus see when he saw these men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John? What did he see? Jesus saw several things. He saw each of these men, first and foremost perhaps, as his creation, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we read that all things came into being through him, that is, Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has not been made, that has been made, excuse me. The psalmist David writes in Psalm 139 that God is the one who formed us, even our inward parts. He knit us together in our mother's womb. 
Simon, Andrew, James, and John, along with each and every one of us here, have been fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of God by God. Jesus sees all of his creation as precious in his sight. This is how Jesus sees us. And yet when Jesus saw Simon and Andrew at the Sea of Galilee, this is not the first time that he saw them. It might have been the first time that they saw him, but this is not the first time that he saw them. God's word tells us that he saw all of his creation even before the foundation of the world because it is then that he chose us. The Lord said to the prophet Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. And these words that are written about Jeremiah apply to all of his chosen creation that Jesus came to save. And although we are his precious creation, he also sees that we are in a sinful condition. When Jesus sees his, his sinful creation, he looks upon us with compassion, not condemnation. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And as Jesus stood on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he looked at Simon, Andrew, James, and John, not only as his creation, but as sinners that needed to be rescued and saved. This is the way that Jesus saw these men, and it is the way that he sees each and every one of us. But he also saw these men as sinners that would be transformed. He saw Simon not as some boisterous, loud-mouthed fisherman who would one day deny him, but Jesus saw him as Peter, who would one day be his mighty disciple and a preacher of the gospel. This is how Jesus sees all of his children that he came to save. And this is how he sees others. It begs the question, how do we view people in our lives? How do we view, how do we see the guy who cuts us off while we're driving on the road? Do we see people with condemnation or do we see people with compassion? Do we see others as needing to be saved and transformed by Jesus? As we continue to look at our passage this morning, we see that Jesus calls his disciples. Jesus calls his disciples. But the, the way that Jesus first called his disciples was not an audible call. As one theologian describes the call of God, he says that God's call is, is loving it's effectual, it's irresistible, it's powerful, it's saving, it's awakening, it's a life-giving call that saves you. I read this analogy which describes this call upon, what this call upon our lives is like. Suppose your child is sleeping and you want to wake them up, what do you do? You, you bend over and you lovingly say, wake up, wake up, and they immediately awaken now, what are the dynamics of that moment? They, they were sound asleep, and, and then they are awake. Did they hear the call and then say, you know, I'm going to think about that, and I'm going to decide whether I'm going to wake up or not? No, the, they, they wake up. And this is the analogy of how God calls us. When, when God issues a call to our dead heart and says, wake up, 
we wake up. Perhaps an even better analogy is, is likened to how Jesus called his dead friend Lazarus up from the grave. When Jesus called Lazarus to come forth after being in the tomb for four days, Lazarus immediately arose to life. And this is the picture of God's call, his, his loving, effectual, irresistible, powerful, saving, awakening, life-giving call to those Jesus came to save. It is a silent, inaudible call that Jesus called his first disciples, and it is the same call that to he, for all of his children that he came to save. Have you heard his inaudible call in your life? Evidence that you've heard his call is that you have responded to the call that Jesus proclaimed in verse 15 of our chapter here, chapter 1. It says that when Jesus came, Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of God, and he said, repent and believe in the gospel. So just like Jesus called his first disciples to repent of their sins and believe in him, Jesus is calling us to repent and believe in him. We are called to confess of our sins to God and to place our trust and belief in Jesus alone. The evidence that we have, that we have responded to God's loving and effectual and irresistible call is that we have repented and believed. The next thing that we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus commands his disciples. Jesus commands his disciples to follow him. Looking at the Greek, Jesus literally said, Come, come after me. Kind of like I was saying to the kids, come on, come on, come on, follow me. And Jesus was commanding them to come and follow him, urging them. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus was take, talking with his disciples later on. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Further in verse 21, Jesus continued saying, he who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will be with me, and I will be with him. At first, first John chapter 4, verse 19 tells us that the reason that we love is because God is the one who loves us first. In love, Jesus sees, and he calls, and then he commands Simon and his brother Andrew to come and follow him. Think about that with me for a moment. I don't know if you've thought about that, but... but Simon and Andrew, they're out on this boat. They're working hard. They're fishing. Why would they follow Jesus? Did they know Jesus? It says they were literally in the middle of casting their fishing net into the Sea of Galilee, hoping to catch some fish. Simon and Andrew did not really know Jesus. They were most likely working very hard in order to make an honest living. And one commentator writes that these fishermen were likely had, a, had these huge heavy nets cast out to draw in, to unload, to clean, to dry and to mend. They would have had, to, had hundreds of fish to process and sell. They had a boat to clean and repair. Fishing was not just something that they did for fun and sport. It was their livelihood and in many ways their life. So why would Simon and Andrew even listen to Jesus? They never would have listened to Jesus unless it was God who had chosen them before the foundation of the world and was now drawing them in by personally coming to them and calling them and commanding them. 
Jesus personally came to them, called them, and commanded them to follow him. What would it mean? What would it mean for these fishermen, these hardworking fishermen, to stop what they were doing and follow Jesus? Well, we get a better picture of this uh, when we look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. It's there that we see Jesus summon a crowd with his disciples. So it's after he's already gathered his disciples. But he's, he's summoning an, an, a crowd and he says to them, If anyone wants to come after me, it says, Jesus says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Simon and Andrew had just met Jesus and they had no idea who Jesus was and what it meant to follow him. But God had given them faith to completely put their trust in Jesus and start following him. In verse 19, we see Jesus going on a little farther in our passage, presumably with Simon and Andrew. And it says that Jesus saw James, the, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a boat mending the nets. In verse 20, it says that Jesus called James and his brother John as well. And just as Jesus called Simon and Andrew, we see that James and his brother John also left and followed Jesus. This should be, seem shocking, surprising to us. Each of these men were, were drawn to the call of the command to follow Jesus. And if you've never read the Bible or knew about Jesus, you might be wondering why, why is Jesus gathering these men to follow him? What, what's his purpose? Well, part of that answer is found in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. What Jesus is saying is that he promised to cause a transformation of his disciples. Jesus causes transformation of his disciples. He causes transformation. He, he said to these fishermen, I will make you fishers of men, not Hey, you guys want to try this thing I'm doing? I'm, you know. No, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. I can only imagine what Simon, Andrew, James, and John were thinking when Jesus said that he would make them become fishers of men. They knew what it meant to become fishers of fish. Even the children, what are the fish, fishers? You got to fish for fish, right? Because that is what they were doing their whole life. In fact, it would appear as if James and John had been following their father's fishing business their whole life, and now they would appear to have given it all up in order to follow this man named Jesus. And they began to trust and follow Jesus, and he would cause their lives to be forever transformed. Well, after seeing Jesus begin his earthly ministry by calling, commanding, causing transformation of his disciples, we're able to see the disciples and their first interaction with Jesus. We're able to see that Jesus models what it means to be a, fishers, a fisher of men. We, we might say that, he, that the disciples were caught by Jesus. The disciples were caught by Jesus because Jesus was the first fisher of men, right? He caught them. These disciples were caught by Jesus in order to rescue and save them and transform them. Jesus went out preaching the gospel of God, proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand, calling everyone to repent and believe in the gospel. And, and as Jesus started this ministry, we see that he caught these men who would become his first disciples. And as Jesus called out to them, the disciples listened to Jesus, and they answered his call. They didn't, 
They didn't block them. They didn't say nothing, right? The disciples listened to Jesus and they answered his call. I've had many people over the years come up to me and say, I just wish I could hear Jesus speak to me audibly. Wish I could have Jesus right there. If you look at the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27, we see Jesus, the good shepherd, saying, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus was not speaking literally of hearing his voice. Jesus speaks to his sheep, his people, by his spirit, to our spirit in our lives. And this is, this is also how he first spoke with his disciples. This is how the disciples knew in their heart that they could trust Jesus and follow him. Jesus speaks not audibly, but he speaks to our heart, our spirit, so that we may know and trust and follow him just like these first disciples. But Jesus also speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? Jesus speaks to us through the scriptures, not just the red letters, guys. You open up that Bible, Jesus' words. God's word is all of God's word, right? There are many of you here this morning who have heard the call. Many of you have heard the call of Jesus in your life to repent and put your trust in him alone. And that is a blessing, a wonderful thing. But there are those of you here who have not yet done so. And so this is God's general call to everyone. And he, he's wanting to, you to know this morning, how will you answer that call? And so we continue to look at our passage. We're able to see how the disciples answered the call. Perhaps the first thing that we see is that they responded without hesitation. They responded without hesitation. You guys were witnesses this morning at my children's message. Some of the children were a little hesitant to follow me. Rightly so. I'm not Jesus, first of all. <laughs> and they, have a, they go, like, well, who, who, is, who would follow me? Why would he follow me? Right? But in verse 18, after Jesus calls and commands Simon and Andrew to follow him, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Again, we see that there was no hesitation at all. The moment Jesus called and commanded them to come and follow him, we see that they left what they were doing and they followed Jesus immediately. There appear to be no hesitation whatsoever. It's, it's a picture of immediate faith and trust in Jesus. This is not always the response of someone who says they want to follow Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 59, Jesus said to another person, he said to him, follow me. But the man that he was speaking to you said, Lord, permit me to first go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. Another also said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Each one of these people had a hesitation or an excuse as to why or why not they're willing to follow Jesus. What may have been some of the excuses or delays that these fishermen could have had before following Jesus? We know that they, what they did, we, they, they immediately followed Jesus, but they could have had excuses, right? Perhaps you can imagine with me what they could have said to Jesus. Maybe Simon and Andrew could have said to Jesus after Jesus said, look, follow me. They would have said, uh, look, buddy, I, I don't know who you are, but we're in the middle of work here. There's no chance we're leaving right now. Uh, fishing is our livelihood. Maybe we can talk to you afterwards, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe they would have just outright rejected Jesus and said, we're, we're not going to follow you. We, we have an important job to do. Or, 
or we can't leave our boat and our fishing equipment. Or perhaps James and John could have said, look, we can't leave our father here on the boat. Who would take care of our father? So each of these excuses for potentially not following Jesus may or may not seem reasonable to us. And there are many different reasons that people give for not following Jesus. Some people will say, perhaps I will follow Jesus when I get older. Or I will follow Jesus maybe after I get married or when I get my life together. Or I'll follow Jesus when I retire and have time. Or I'll follow Jesus as long as he doesn't take me out of my comfort zone. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus alone, that is when Jesus can, we can trust Jesus with all of our excuses. Although we see the disciples begin to follow Jesus immediately, the disciples still had to count the cost. The disciples still had to count the cost of following Jesus. The immediate cost for these disciples, what they were, they were leaving their occupation, weren't they? They were hardworking fishermen who left their livelihood to follow Jesus. Another cost for these fishermen was that they were leaving their primary source of income. And, if it was, and it also appeared that they were leaving their earthly possessions to fo- and the boat and their fishing equipment. We see specifically that James and John had left their father Zebedee behind in the boat. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus was not saying that in order to follow him, we need to stop loving our parents and our children. In fact, that's the opposite. Jesus calls us to honor and love our parents, to love our children deeply. But, but even our loving relationships with parents and children can become an idol or a stumbling block that can delay our, or interfere with following Jesus in the way that he desires. These fishermen didn't know it on that day, but Jesus was first calling them to follow him. But, but later on, the cost of following him would mean the cost of suffering, persecution, and even death. Jesus never said that following him would be easy. In fact, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. The ultimate cost, however, was already paid by Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus, God the Son, left God the Father in heaven to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the price of his perfect and sinless life by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. The cost that Jesus paid allows us the blessing and privilege of following him. The benefits that we receive far outweigh any earthly cost that we might incur. Jesus paid the cost of his life so that we might have our sins forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life and abundant life. And going back to our passage, after being caught by Jesus and counting the cost and answering the call, we see the disciples continued to follow Jesus. The disciples, they continued to follow Jesus and be transformed. Being a true follower of Jesus meant that they would continue to follow Jesus. Eleven out of the twelve first original disciples were true followers of Jesus. Judas is the only one that may have looked like a follower of Jesus for a while, but his love for money showed that he was who he was really following or what he was really following. 
And the only reason the other disciples or any one of us can continue following Jesus is because of God's unmerited love for us. God's word says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of God the Son, so that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. For those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He will bring us through to the end. These words should encourage us that God will make sure that after he calls us and gives us faith that we will continue to follow Jesus until the day we are taken home and glorified in heaven. Jesus calls us and he commanded these disciples to follow him causing transformation of their lives. So as we look at this passage, perhaps the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is how is Jesus calling you? How is Jesus calling you today? First and foremost, he is calling all of us to confess our sins to Jesus. He's calling us to confess our sins to Jesus. To confess our sins means that we need to agree and admit that we are sinners who sin. We sin every day in our thoughts, our words, our deeds. We, we sin by doing things that God commands us not to, and we sin by not doing things that God commands us to do. God is calling us to confess and repent of our sins. Jesus is calling us to turn away from our sins and turn to him. We need to trust and confess our sins to him alone. We don't need a, a priest or an intermediary. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can, he has granted us access to God the Father. And 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says that if we say that we have no sin, then we are merely deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, but if we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins, he being Jesus is faithful and just, he's righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all our unrighteousness. Jesus is calling us as well to come to him. Jesus is telling us to come to him. When we are being called to come and follow Jesus, this means that we are being called to believe and trust and obey him in everything. This means that in every area of our lives, we need to completely trust and obey him. Coming and following Jesus means that he promises that he will lead us and guide us and care for us every step that we take. Coming to Jesus and following him means that we may need to leave things behind, even things that we love and care for. Coming to Jesus and following him means sacrificially giving of your life and all that you have to follow him. Following Jesus means being willing to go where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. And as we learn about this, we learn about this by coming to Jesus by spending time with him in his word. This is the way that he speaks to us, showing us who he is and what he wants us to do. Coming to Jesus is knowing that he is always there and to come to him in prayer. We are to come to Jesus in prayer, praising him for who he is, confessing our sins, asking him to show us where he wants us to serve and follow him. Jesus is calling us to be a new creation as well. Jesus is calling us to be a new creation. Just like Jesus caused the transformation of his disciples, he will cause us to be a 
transformation, a new creation. We are to confess our sins and come to Jesus in faith, trusting in him alone. And that is when we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. This is the gracious work of God in our lives when we become a new creation, a new person. When Jesus was speaking uh, with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 3, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is where God causes us to be regenerated, gives us a new life, a new creation he calls us to be. We are called to a new life and a new purpose. As Jesus gave Simon a a new life and a new name, he, he called him Peter, the rock. So Jesus promises to do this for each and every one of you who will trust and follow him. As Jesus is calling us to be a new creation, he is conforming us to his image. And Jesus is is making us more like him, giving us a new name, Christian. He gives you a new name, a new purpose, and a new life. And Jesus calls us to be like him, to have compassion for the lost as he has compassion for the lost. Jesus calls us to have compassion for the lost as he has compassion for the lost. The world is full of lost sinners. From those in the womb to the children of Delaware County that surround our church to teens and adults, we have lots and lots of opportunities here in this community to show the love and compassion to the lost. One of the ways we can do this is support the work of Amnion, whose ministry is to have compassion to help the unborn child in the womb. It is to have compassion to help the mother and father who are in a crisis pregnancy situation and show them the love of Jesus. Another opportunity that we have to have compassion is on the thousands of children in Delaware County in particular who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to support the ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship who who we partner with here at Crossroads in reaching the children for Jesus Christ. Having compassion for these children might look like giving of your time and your talent and your treasure to support the ministry, not only of CEF, but all the ministries that we're doing here at this church. In addition to our preschool and Sunday school, we are going to be hosting one of the largest outreaches in our community. That is having the the kids fair on October 31st. It's a time where we can show compassion for the lost community around us. We're inviting children and parents uh, from our community to come to this Halloween alternative. It's where we can have, they can have some fun playing games and getting some candy, but most importantly, they're gonna have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're gonna have the opportunity to see Jesus in word and in deed as we interact with them. I call it gospitality. It's hospitality in the gospel. And we need lots of volunteers to show compassion by giving, by coming, by helping people hear the call of Jesus to repent and put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How will you respond to the call of Jesus? Jesus wants us to follow him, that he might make us fishers of men. Let's follow him together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you when we praise you that you did not leave us alone 
that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in your love and compassion for your lost world, sent Jesus, God the Son, to save lost sinners like us, to give his life as a ransom for many. We're so thankful that he had a desire to gather people, to call them, to command them, to follow him. We thank you, Lord God, that you're still calling and commanding people to be your children, to be your disciples, to follow you. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to listen to the call, to respond to the call, knowing that you will lead us and guide us forever. For in, in Jesus' precious name that we pray, amen.